Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you. We will soon be joined by State Senator Chris Jacobs talking about NY27, also about a few uh, uh, state issues. I'm sorry, Brenda, I had a uh, a brain lapse there. You had a little momentary lapse there. A, l- a little bit, you know, still, uh, st- <laughs> still it- it- it's funny because Saturday is my only day off, but Me it's too. become yeah. my laziest day. Yes. I mean, I, I track my steps. Now, yesterday was different because I did that virtual 5K, but usually... My Saturdays, I'll go from averaging 12, 13,000 steps to two or 3,000 on Saturdays. So <laughs> you, you have just such a lazy day. Sometimes on Sunday, you'll have those little brain lapses. Yes, yeah, it happens uh, to the best of us for sure, Joe. And uh, we certainly, you know, to use one of the more popular uh, buzzwords lately or phrases, unpack a lot. So we've had a lot to unpack on this show with Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul joining us at the top and then Nate McMurray running for NY27, the endorsed Democrat. And now we're expecting uh, State Senator Chris Jacobs to join us in just a moment. And then, Joe, we'll have uh, some medical advice. The doctor will be in, and there's no copay, I guess. We don't have to write him a check, I hope. <laughs> hope not. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the medical aspect of things, which I find um, to be so important and informative. I want to hear the medical facts, the scientific data, uh, and really learn what we can about this you know, COVID-19 situation as it continues to unfold and as the medical people continue to understand what's happening. I think it's a mystery for many people in the scientific community as well. Yeah, and, and you know what? Um, our interview with Dr. Menio kicks off an afternoon of doctor interviews as Tom Barley will have a few between one and four. But now we are joined on the live line by State Senator Chris Jacobs. State Senator Jacobs, good morning. Good morning. And uh, first question, how have you and your family been doing during the uh, Corona-19 virus, the quarantine? How's everything going? We're, we're doing very well. I hope your families are as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. So far, so good, Chris. Um, and, and thank you for asking about us as well. So uh, we just had Nate McMurray on. I imagine you heard what he had to say. What was your uh, response to uh, what he said about testing in this area? Well, I, I think in, in terms of how we're doing locally or? 
Yes, and, and the availability of tests. It's my understanding um, from a doctor friend of mine who just texted me that people can get tested. Uh, Quest, in fact, is offering tests. Damon, you are you hear are you hearing things about that, and uh, are you concerned about perhaps misinformation out there? Yeah, I think we've made uh, a, a, a real improvements on access to testing. We certainly need more. Uh, but uh, I, you know, uh, Nate had mentioned that you can't get a test anywhere, and uh, uh, there was just uh, an article uh, in the Buffalo News yesterday or Friday, maybe that to urgent care now. Uh, anybody who wants to go get a test can go to urgent any urgent care. So we're starting finally to break through. I know that for uh, a while this was very challenging. Uh, frankly, uh, we, I was talking to some of the providers here and, uh, who had, had placed orders, put money down, but uh, the, uh, the state uh, had, uh, was directing it downstate. Uh, so I think we're, we're getting our testing now. The, the challenge with that, too, as you know, is as we test more, we're going to find more. So we have to balance when we see numbers going up. You know, and I will leave that to the healthcare professionals who you're going to have on, and it's so great you're doing that, to, to balance that. You know, is, there, is it really an increase, or is it the fact we're testing more now? So uh, that, that's, that is challenging because the data uh, is uh, not just black and white, unfortunately, because when you're testing more, that in and of itself is going to identify more people. I was also talking to my wife about this. I had a friend who uh, went and got tested uh, 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 the test that you can find if you if you had coronavirus. Uh, now I don't know is that accounted in the testing. I mean this person is fully well now, and this was weeks ago, but he was tested that he had had it. Uh, so uh, these are the complications as we're trying to w work through this unprecedented time we have. Chris, you know we had Chris on. Uh, Chris on. We had Nate on just last uh, segment, and you guys are running for the same seat. Mm. We asked him how he would uh, how he would grade the Congress response to COVID nineteen, but then we also asked his thought on the president. And I just want your reaction to this. He said that the president is to blame for the high number of COVID nineteen cases in the United States. Uh, what do you say to that? It's, that is just so disappointing to me. You know, really, we are in a crisis. Uh, you know, the, the equivalency, as many have said, to war, and I think there is a lot of comparison. I, I certainly think this would be something in our lifetime, or I talked to my mother, I don't think she's seen something like this in her lifetime. So this is really unprecedented. Look, I, I, I'm still in the state Senate. Uh, Governor Cuomo is the executive. I've tried very hard to be very measured in terms of uh, the Governor Cuomo. I, I understand he's under a lot of pressure. He's trying, I believe, he's trying to do the best he can. Uh, is, has he done everything right? Absolutely not. But am I there every single day blasting Governor Cuomo? No, I am not doing that. Uh, there'll be a time to kind of look back and analyze what we could have done, what we should have done, what we should have done years ago as far as stockpiling ventilators and things like that. But right now, we need to all work together. So that's really been my view. And uh, I just think to blame somebody and say this is all their fault is uh, really, uh, really an unfortunate lack of leadership and responsibility in, in my mind. Chris, how would you grade uh, Governor Cuomo if he had to put a grade on his, uh, his handling of this crisis in New York State, which has certainly turned out to be the epicenter uh, in the U.S.? 
I, you know, I think he is doing the best he can, uh, and I, I've tried to be supportive as a legislator uh, and uh, the majority of what he's requested I've been supportive of, uh, and I believe when I have had areas that I've been disappointed in, uh, one area I will say I spoke out loudly on was I was very disappointed on, not disappointed, I was angered, frankly, on what he attempted to do in terms of the ventilators. Uh, I thought that was a, um, an overreach, uh, a, a, a kind of dictatorial, dictatorial approach saying we're going to take your excess ventilators and uh, take them, use the National Guard to do it. And that's no way uh, to govern. And uh, we, you know, after, prior to that, I think we were working very uh, collaboratively and uh, having a feeling that we're into this, this together. But uh, I, again, I think this is a very difficult, difficult thing that no one anticipated the size or scale. Uh, I, I just think back when we were, we had an emergency meeting to in, uh, initially pass the $40 million uh, for COVID. This would have been six weeks ago and thinking, you know, this seems kind of, you know, like a serious thing. To think now, I would, who would ever have fathomed uh, six weeks ago that, that we would have been where we are now and the severity of this and the, the duration of this. And I think as we're talking, and certainly I've been supportive of working towards uh, sooner rather than later, incrementally getting back to work. Uh, but we have to be honest that this is not going to be uh, turning on the switch, and this is going to be in the past, uh, you know, May 15th. Uh, this is going to be a challenging time. And you, you spoke about issues like, you know, when are we going to, congregate in mass for things. I mean, when is that going to happen again? It's going to be a long time coming. So uh, we, we have a lot of work to do, but I think right now we need to work together. And uh, I think uh, I, I've really tried. I've tried in my role as a senator. I've tried my role as a, a congressional representative to provide value in terms of disseminating information, uh, being a conduit for good information. Uh, certainly in our Senate office, we have been very, very busy on calls regarding health issues, regarding unemployment, which has been a big issue, getting unemployment insurance uh, and informing people about uh, good programs that have come down from the federal government, like the payroll protection program, which is the aid to small businesses, which a lot of our small businesses are using too. So uh, the, I think the federal government is trying its best to respond. I certainly was disappointed in Nancy Pelosi's tact on uh, holding back, getting more funding for that program as it was obviously so successful because it got used so quickly uh, and we needed to keep that momentum going and shouldn't have had it held up. But now it's proceeding and it's flowing again. And I, I think that a lot of our businesses are, are able to try to stay afloat as we try to get through this. Back to your point about uh, the ventilators. Uh, I think in some ways, Chris, their politics has been thrown out the window at times because even Mark Polencar's uh, criticized the governor for what was going to be that initial tactic of, you know, calling the gardens, bring them downstate. So I, I, I do see glimpses sometime of people working together, um, not worried about whether there's an R or a D after their name. Do you see that as well? Are, are you getting that feeling as well? I think, I think largely, and I, I think that when people see infighting, that, 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 I believe that raises the stress level of uh, the public. Uh, right now, you need to have a belief that your leaders are, you know, they are privy to more information uh, on a daily basis than, um, than any, everybody else, and that in a time of crisis, that, that politic element, the partisan element, the opportunist element is put, put to the side. 
And uh, I, I've certainly tried to do that. Uh, I've always tried to do that. But I, I, I think now more than ever, uh, even in the national level, we need to really try to do this. This is really serious. It's life and death. We know that. And then as we move towards trying to reopen this economy, this is, in, in a way, you know, life and death, too, because there are lives on the line if we don't open at some point in time in the near term. So uh, uh, this is, and it's obviously got to be a balance that's, uh, that's struck. And uh, I, I think that I'm glad that the governor decided to back off his approach to doing it one size fits all in terms of reopening. And now is going in terms of the, uh, the regional approach, uh, because certainly, uh, you know, in areas like in, in NY27, Wyoming County and Livingston County, their you know, cases of, of COVID are very, very low. Why should they be held to the same standards as New York City? Uh, so uh, I think uh, I'm glad he kind of recalibrated his, his view on that one. Chris, what about um, the stimulus checks? You know, not only do we have concern about our health, as you point out so accurately, it's life and death, but then there's the, the stress and of economic hardship. Uh, have you heard a lot of your constituents say they have not received their check? I have not, by the way. I don't know if Joe has, but uh, I'm wondering if you, know, if you hear a lot from your constituency about folks not receiving their stimulus checks. I've not heard the checks. What we're getting calls at our state office a lot on is the unemployment uh, and uh, the unemployment insurance and uh, Department of Labor, uh, that they're just, um, you know, uh, again, I'm not trying to criticize. I think they're trying to do the best they can. Uh, uh, but uh, I think they had an antiquated system that it just was so highlighted when they were overwhelmed uh, with with the mass amount of unemployment. But that's the calls we're getting most of all. Uh, we're certainly also getting calls of businesses wanting clarification if they're essential or not, uh, because it's just it's difficult. And I think um, you know, uh, talking to farming, farming is essential, but some of the suppliers to the farms are not. So if you can't get certain supplies for equipment for your farm, you know, for your tractors and things, how do you do what is essential? So it's just not simple. And I think that what this really shows, too, is how interconnected and dependent this economy is. And uh, I think one thing, too, I would – if I've added anything onto my platform stronger than before, and no one has really given Donald Trump a lot of credit for this, but, you know, when he announced running for Congress uh, – for president – he talked a lot about China, and he was maligned often about uh, uh, what he said about China, and he's been maligned in terms of his tough stance on trade. I think more and more people realize um, he was kind of the canary in the coal mine on this, that China is a real problem. It is a real threat to our, uh, our nation. They are a communist country. Um, they are most likely uh, the single source of this blame. And uh, I, I know there's been – I think we should hold them accountable. But I think more importantly, we need to work towards, uh, a, I guess, social distancing, economic distancing from China. We need to bring our pharmaceutical manufacturing back here. We need to have a broader view of – of industries that are in the national interest, so we never again have to beg, borrow, and steal for uh, PPEs and other other things that we right now need China for, because they kind of hold the corner on a lot of these markets. Uh, so I, you know, I think uh, Nate and I are on different sides of that view, uh, but um, I, I feel very strongly in that. Uh, Chris, 
you know, we've had a lot of, uh, not just here in New York State, but around the country, these open the state now protests. What are What is your view on them? I know you said a few minutes ago that we have to have a uh, plan to reopen the state slowly. What do you think about those who are saying, let's reopen it now? This is all overblown. It's all hype. Uh, what's your response to that? Well, first, I think you know, we are still Americans, and the opportunity to express yourself in a safe way um, is American. So I was disappointed with uh, the attacks that Nate uh, has had upon people who, uh, who have tried to vocalize their concern. There's people are really, really hurting. I mean, I, we have grown men call, uh, calling on the phone crying because of their financial situation. This is really serious. So I think we need to listen and re- be respectful and to call them, you know, names and ridicule them and the president on this. Uh, so I think we need to be heard. I think th- those voices were heard, were heard by Governor Cuomo. He recalibrated his statement on the, on the cross the board view. Uh, and, you know, as a senator, I always have to say, wait a second, folks, it's not the state of New York City. It's the state of New York. So everything is not New York City. <laughs> we're different up here. Let's view ourselves differently on, on, on everything, frankly. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's important. I think we need to do it in a responsible way. I'm glad that, he set, that he's beginning to set up the task force with, with Kathy Hochul. I've, I've said that we, we need to make sure that there's business representation on that, true business representation, not a bunch, bunch of just bureaucrats. So we get that perspective and we do it right. But I think there's certainly, why can't landscapers start working? You know, th- those sort of things why, that are inherently outside, uh, I think we can start doing those things at this point in time. And as you mentioned, uh, still in the state Senate, uh, how has business been going these last few weeks with, you know, the social distancing and pretty much everything locked down? Have you had to go to Albany? Uh, we, we went up to Albany in the, on the budget, so that was uh, the last couple uh, days of uh, March, 1st of April, uh, and uh, several of our members did social distance uh, fully. I, actually, what we did is I, I walked into the, the chamber, waved my hand that I'm here, and then I went to my office and voted online. Uh, so, but several members who were uh, health-compromised completely did it mobile. We did Zoom and all that. I've conveyed that uh, that we need to get back to work. And uh, this is uh, 2020. We can use technology. We don't have to be there, but we need to be at the table. Uh, we are a co-equal uh, branch of government, and we should not be just sitting back here on the sideline. We are representatives. We are hearing day in, day out what is going on, and we need our voice to be heard. I, we, should be, we are supposed to be in session this week. We need to get back to work. So that's been, uh, been, been my message. Chris, uh, Secretary, uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said this morning on some of the morning uh, talk shows that because of the amount of fiscal relief being injected into the economy, he thinks that uh, uh, he's optimistic about recovery, economic recovery, in the summer months, June, July, August. Do you think that's a, a realistic view? Do you agree with him on that? I, I am glad, very glad that he thinks that, and uh, I, I hope he's right. I think certain some sectors will hop right back on. Others will will not because of issues that uh, uh, inherent with being concerned about COVID. But I think um, I, I think that is great news that he feels that. Uh, I also really hope that uh, this cause, as we work to get this economy up and going again, and it will be because the fundamentals were right uh, before this happened, and we have the best economy in in decades. 
again, I hope that we really work. I believe there's an opportunity here to really revision our economy here in terms of saying we, it is in our national interest. As Donald Trump talked, has talked all along, we, we, you're not a great nation unless you're a manufacturing nation. We need to become a manufacturing nation because it's good for our economy. It creates real pain, good paying jobs, and it's important for our national security. That is what we've come, we now come to realize, that outsourcing all these interests um, and may, uh, benefits Wall Street at the expense of our national security. We, we never should be as dependent on another nation for critical uh, needs as we are now. And I think that's a real economic opportunity uh, that we will see moving forward. Speaking of the economy, uh, Chris, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is opposed to bailing out states, saying that they can declare bankruptcy instead, and they really got Governor Cuomo hot under the collar. What's your view on that? Well, I, uh, I, I haven't seen the context of the statement. Uh, certainly, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a great thing that all these governments go um, bankrupt. I will say, in terms of New York State, we have been uh, budgeting this, this state on a house of cards for, for decades now. Um, we have been spending far more than we generate. We have been, uh, we have been uh, a debt-ridden government, uh, offloading debt on all these authorities and shadow governments so it doesn't really show up off, it's kind of off the books budgeting. Uh, but also, as we've perpetuated year in, year out, bad policy, bad business policy, bad regulations, and push more businesses out of the state, push more people out of the state, especially in areas like ours, the way we made up that revenue is, we said, is the progressives said, oh, just tax the rich more. So the, or the rich, who are they? Wall Street in New York City. And over at this point in time, over 40% of the revenue generated for our annual budget is generated by 1% of the population in New York State. We have so many eggs in one basket. And now what has happened? That's fallen through the floor uh, in terms because of this crisis. And now we have, we'll probably have a $15 billion deficit. So if bankruptcy or not, I think this should be a wake-up call for the state uh, to get a much more uh, business-friendly environment, make it much more affordable, and have a much more stable tax revenue structure than we have right now. State Senator Chris Jacobs, always good talking to you. We'll talk soon, okay? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank that you. is State Senator Chris Jacobs, also running for the NY27 congressional seat. When we come back, Dr. Mike Menio here on W. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome back to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you until 1 o'clock this morning. And this half hour, we are joined by the Chief Medical Officer at Millard Fillmore Suburban Hospital. It is Dr. Mike Minio. Dr. Uh, Minio, good morning. 
And Dr. Menio, um, we've been talking to uh, politicians the first 90 minutes of the show, and the number one question is testing. Uh, what does that look like? Are we getting more testing at our medical uh, facilities? Speaking for Clyda Health, we've been working aggressively to make sure that we had the appropriate technology, the reagents to do testing, and we've been ramping up pretty aggressively. At this point, we are able to run 500 tests per day across three different sites. Because of that, we're actually offering it to uh, essentially anybody who's symptomatic within the community and often partnering with some of our competitors in the marketplace just to make sure we can take care of their employees as well. Doctor, it's great to have you on the show, and I know you're a busy guy, but uh, I do want to ask you just a couple of questions about um, the standard of the tests. If one gets a test at a hospital, say, versus a, a Quest Lab or an urgent care, can we assume that they're all the same standard tests, that it, they're, they're all viable tests no matter where you get the test from? If you're getting it from a healthcare facility, you can generally expect that it's been FDA-approved and it's an appropriate test. There are tests available that people are getting from the Internet that aren't as accurate. But if it's from a certified healthcare facility, we can trust the results. Good to know. Um, what are you seeing day to day? Is it uh, unlike, I would imagine, it's like anything you've ever experienced in your career. Are you seeing any sort of decline in COVID cases? Or what's the experience been like for you over the past six weeks? So the... Initially, it came faster and more aggressive than we anticipated. It came in the patients were sick, all requiring intensive care. We very quickly adapted to that environment, made sure we were uh, taking appropriate care of the patients, keeping our staff safe. But over the last seven days, we've seen a leveling off. So we think that we are at our plateau now. You know, we hear of the high risk um, and, and the groups of people that are at the high risk. Here in Western New York, what is the most common high risk group to be in intensive care? When this first started, we thought this was going to be the patients with lots of different diseases, the diabetic patients on chemotherapy. And that's really not what we're seeing. It's the patients with one or two other illnesses. It's the 65-year-old with hypertension and obesity, the 71-year-old with COPD. So it's really not the people that you would expect to get horribly ill from pneumonia. They tend to actually be a little bit less ill. Doctor, I, I was reading about some disturbing reports about younger patients suffering from strokes, and they attribute that to the virus. Uh, any idea uh, what that connection might be? That's a really interesting phenomenon we're just noticing. We are noticing that something about this virus causes the body to form blood clots. And people who do not survive are finding lots of small clots. We have a very active stroke center, one of the best in the country within Clyde Health. And so we're also seeing that phenomenon of increasing strokes. So consistent with that, we're actually doing blood tests when we have patients with COVID to see is their body forming clots and then proactively giving blood thinners to these patients to prevent the stroke. It's nothing that we've quite seen before with viral infections. Any idea why it would affect younger people uh, more so? Younger people have a more aggressive immune system, and a lot of this appears to be immune-mediated. So the body senses this foreign attacker and mounts an exceedingly aggressive response. And part of that is forming clots. You mentioned um, one of the high risks for 65 and older was obesity and diabetes. Do we see younger, so say under 50, uh, of those patients 
that are admitted, do we see obesity as one of the high risks or is it something else with that 30 to 50 group? In the 30 to 50 group, we're tending to see one or two other diseases. So it's not the person who's on hemodialysis that we're necessarily seeing. It's those patients, those 35 to 50, tend to be a little less sick. And what's causing them to get so ill is, again, that exceedingly aggressive immune response. It's not um, getting them, it's their body's response to the sickness that's getting them sick. Doctor, I wanted to ask you about uh, your opinion of the herd immunity. There's a lot of talk about that being used in Europe, uh, especially Sweden and Germany. Uh, Can you explain to a layperson like me what herd immunity means and if you think that that might be a remedy for coronavirus in the U.S.? Sure. The way an infection works is it goes from one person to another who does not have immunity. So one of the things that we do to control influenza, for example, is by getting vaccines that if I get the disease and you have the vaccine, I can't give it to you, and therefore you can't give it to the person who's sitting to your left. And so the more people you have with immunity in a society, the less likely those people will spread it to other people. Now, the idea of herd immunity without a vaccine is you get certain portions of the population sick. With it, that won't get as ill, and they act as buffers to protect other people. For herd immunity to work in an effective, safe way, it has to be very thoughtful and staged. And the governor is working towards this, where you let healthy people out into society. So maybe they get it, but they won't get as sick. And then you can slowly build a population of healthy people who have immunity that will protect the less healthy people. As a doctor, is this something that you would recommend with that strategy, going with the healthier uh going back to work first or going back to less of a lockdown first? Correct. That would be a very controlled, staged approach to be effective. In some smaller countries, we've seen where they just kind of open the doors. The problem with that is then you get these sudden surges of overly ill people that can overwhelm the healthcare systems. Doctor, what about um, talk about another outbreak perhaps in the fall? Um, So the if I understand correctly, it doesn't matter if I've had it. I may get it again. Is that right? And, and others may be exposed to it? That is one of the areas that we worry about with antibody testing. We don't know if having the infection once protects you from getting it again. There are some infections you can't recatch. We think this may be one you can recatch. When you think about it, this is a novel virus. We knew nothing about it three months ago. So our knowledge is incomplete. So we have to be very cautious in terms of monitoring people who've had it to see if they can get reinfected with it. And so the concern in the fall, though, part of it is just people start putting their guard down and we get a little too lax and then you could expose more of society. Um, as, as a doctor, you know, we talked about the herd immunity. What would you want to see? You know, we hear of uh, more testing. We hear of uh, not until a possible vaccine. In your medical opinion, what would you want to see before we got back to anywhere close to what normal was, say, the first week of February? I'd like to see a very staged, thoughtful approach. And what does that mean? That means, well, for example, in the healthcare system, at this point, we know that within the hospitals, often one of the safest places because there's such aggressive screening. Let's start slowly allow some more urgent surgeries to take place just to open up that segment of the economy and treat those patients. Let's take other areas of society, such as manufacturing, that has to happen. Let some of the younger people 
back into the workplace. That has to be done in connection with aggressive testing and also tracing. That means if somebody gets tested, they're positive, the government then usually has to find out who that person's been in contact with and start following all of them and putting them in isolation. This way you create little pockets rather than having opening up society limited but still having people going around infecting others. You have to take those who are infected and kind of segment them off. Doc, that seems to make a lot of sense, but um, I have a friend who needs back surgery and is in a lot of pain. She is really apprehensive about going into a hospital to be operated on, given the certain, you know, given the, the situation that we're in. What would you say to somebody who is facing surgery and really needs surgery to help alleviate severe pain? So when the pandemic first started, it was completely appropriate to shut everything down until we had appropriate processes in place to keep the buildings safe and everywhere safe. Now it is our opinion that health, health systems are amongst the safest places because everybody who comes into the building gets this, their symptoms checked and a temperature checked. Anybody who has any symptoms gets immediately tested and removed from work until we know that they're no longer infectious. When you look at the infection rate of employees, it does not correlate with the number of patients in the hospital because they're not getting sick in the building. They're getting sick out in the community. So it is our opinion and my professional opinion that it's safe to have certain things done within the hospital because we are so rigorous around making sure everybody in the building safe, that everybody has appropriate PPE, personal protective equipment, and that we ensure our patients are routinely monitored. You know, Doc, we see all these videos of um, nurses and doctors getting all that, as you said, the PPE, getting all geared up to go and treat the COVID-19 patients. Can you maybe talk us through that getting ready, uh, what extra layers are going on to treat the COVID-19 patients? Sure. So we do it in two stages. First off, everybody who comes into at least our buildings has to wear a mask. Just we know that if we're wearing a mask and anybody else wears a mask, the risk of transmission is only 1.5%. So you have to keep everybody safe all the time. We take it the next step if you're going into the room of somebody who we know has COVID or somebody who we think may have COVID. The minute we think you may have it, you're treated the same as you do have COVID. And before going into that room, you always have to wash your hands. You put on a, a gown. You put on your gloves. And then... Uh, we're one of the first because anybody in the building who wants to wear an N95 gets an N95. So we give them an N95 that they put on. They then put a normal surgical mask over the N95. Then they put goggles on over that or a face shield. Now, is this something, say, you know, a year or two down the road? Are you guys going to stick to a more, uh, more protected for nurses and doctors? Are you taking something away from this for the future? of getting ready to deal with patients or treat patients? I think this is going to reinforce the importance of appropriate hygiene and precautions. So one area that we're always reinforcing is hand washing, hand washing. And sometimes the message gets a little bit stale, but I think that this is going to reinvigorate the importance of washing your hands, not touching your face, washing your hands before and after every encounter, um, just good basic hand hygiene. Dr. Arminio, what did you think of uh, President Trump's suggestion that perhaps bleach and light might help uh, combat the virus? Yeah, I'm not much of an expert on politics, so I try not to veer too much into it. He's doing his best to try to gather all the information and present to us. 
But for medical advice, I'd refer to our, our medical experts. But you would not suggest that people in, ingest bleach or Lysol or anything like that, correct? We absolutely would not. And even with just the increased cleaning chemicals around the house, the poison control centers are seeing an increased number of phone calls because of accidental ingestions. Well, that's a great point because we, you know, probably are cleaning more. I know I am cleaning more than I ever did in the past, and uh, there are more and more chemicals around, so it's easy to, you know, uh, perhaps put people at risk or even our pets at risk. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Doctor, to follow up on Joe's question about the precautions you take, um, the masks, um, the visors, the gowns, um, I noticed that some healthcare professionals around the country are putting photos of themselves on their gowns so that patients can see what they look like behind that mask. Have you started doing that at uh, Kaleida Health? So it's kind of neat is the employees are often doing it themselves to support each other. What people don't realize is wearing all of that equipment is not comfortable. Uh, it's exceedingly warm under there, so we've actually had issues with people becoming dehydrated. Um, it blocks normal communication. And so they literally feel like they're suiting up for war. And so taking the pictures is a, we're all cavaliering, building strength around each other by doing that. What a great morale boost that must be for you. And, and uh, how many hours typically are you putting in these days? What, what, what's your day-to-day -day life like? I'll say for our, our care providers, the ones at the front door, the, the troops, they're the ones usually doing 12 to 14 hour days. Like, they're doing it under all that PPE equipment, um, under anxiety-provoking conditions, which is just phenomenal. Um, us in the administrative side are working hard in different ways, just trying to make sure we're supporting them, make sure that we have appropriate procedures, PPE. Um, the days are pretty endless uh, during this pandemic. You know, we talked about, you know, washing your hands. And, doctor, I have to say, I can't believe... We had to be we had to tell people to wash their hands. Uh, if we're taking one positive away from this, it might be better hygiene. However, you know, I heard this years ago that too much of the antibacterial soap is actually bad for you. Is there any truth to that? And should we be doing more hand washes with soap and water and maybe using less of the antibacterial soap? So when you're using lots of different antibacterial medications that could get into the water system, those could cause issues. In terms of using it for good hand hygiene, I'm not aware of any real risks with doing that. I think what's important is just to make sure you're doing it right. The challenge with soap and water is it takes 20 to 30 seconds of rigorous hand washing, and most people lack the attention span and time to do it that long. The alcohol wipes offer us the benefit of being a little bit quicker to do. And, we, and there are studies that show it's more effective because the compliance is higher because of the speed. And also, we, we should probably be wiping down our cell phones on a regular basis, correct? It's always neat to, to see that the areas with the highest load of bacteria aren't what you'd expect. It's not the toilet. It's your phone in the water fountain, areas that we just don't think to clean. Doc, what about laundry, though? Should we be uh, washing our clothes in hot water, warm water? Is cold water still sufficient? And even for hand washing, uh, does it have to be hot water? So for hand washing, I would say absolutely not hot water because then you'll burn yourself. So we say lukewarm for hand washing. And so we've actually, there's quite a few studies on can this be spread via clothing? This is something that we've spent a lot of time discussing just to make sure we're appropriately protecting our staff in terms of their scrubs. And there's very little evidence of this ever spreading via 
cloth contamination or clothing. So the recommendations from our infectious disease specialists are just wash your clothes on a warm water cycle. Good to know. I'm glad you said that because I had been uh, not changing after getting home from work. So I wanted to make sure that I wasn't responsible for potentially spreading anything. Well, Dr. Menio, thank you so much for everything you do and all in the medical industry do. And I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for helping educate our public. Thank you so much. That is Dr. Mike Menio. And Brenda, I said it to the doctor. I'll say it to you. It is, you know, actually, I won't. This is what I'll say. He, uh, he's correct. It's the attention span that we lack when it's washing your hands, right? Oh, no doubt. You know, no, you're, you're always thinking about the next thing to do, wash them really quickly and get going. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm the type of person who will wash my hands thoroughly, grab a, a paper towel and start running out the door as if, you know, my hair is on fire. <laughs> but it's just you get into that mode. And uh, I, he brings up a great point about the attention span of oh. Americans in general. And, you know, Joe, I think texting, tweeting, all of the stuff that we do on a regular basis just feeds into that because we're so used to these short bursts of whether it's oh, yeah. communication or other things that we don't have time to talk on the phone we'll just send right. you a text yes and i'm yes, also glad it, i'm also glad you said there's nothing wrong with the antibacterial soap because i had heard that using too much of that is actually bad for you and uh is it could have the neg the uh the negative the um, opposite effect of cleaning your hands so i'm glad that that was false and that these are still good because Right now in this studio, Brenda, it smells like antibacterial soap. And to be more specific, it smells like Bath and Body Works Hawaiian pink hibiscus soap. Well, that's not such a bad thing, right? No, not awful. Not awful. We, we, uh, we should point out, too, that we are maintaining our social distance, Joe. I'm home. I'm broadcasting from uh, Casa Alesi again, the broadcast center here, <laughs> from my kitchen, basically. And uh, Joe, of course, is back at the studio where he's been six days a week for weeks now. And you know what? Always good to have a doctor on. Hopefully, uh, Dr. Menio, maybe he can join us uh, every week throughout this. It'd be nice if we could hook that up just to get, you know, every week you've got this new medical advice from a, quote, doctor, you know, online. And who knows how many of those, quote, doctors on Twitter and Facebook are actual doctors. So it's nice to have Dr. Menio, the the chief at, at Millard Fillmore, on with us to give us some real uh, scientific information. And try to dispel some of the things that are out there, Joe. You know, I've read, you know, we're inundated with information. I've read about different laundry practices, as you brought up, the hand washing. So I'd like to hear it right from uh, a medical professional in the scientific community. They deal in facts and information. And it's really important, I think, to... Um, continue to tap into that, that vast resource we have. We're lucky in this community to have so many talented physicians, nurses, and people on the front line in the medical community. Uh, I have two in my family. My nephew is an occupational therapist, and another nephew is a nurse at Buffalo General. So, you know, I'm concerned about their health and safety, uh, and I hope that um, these folks can just continue to deal with the mental stress of it as well. For sure. And I'm glad that he put information behind herd immunity because yeah. we have seen that a lot on the text board, a lot in some of the calls we've taken here during the week. Uh, you know, people think that herd immunity means, oh, let's just go out tomorrow like we were in February and hey, it'll spread, but it'll it'll help end this thing. And it's not that simple. <laughs> it's not it's not just opening everything up. And well, if you get sick, you get sick. That's not, not what they're talking about. 
One thing that's clear to me, Joe, there's nothing simple about coronavirus COVID-19. Nothing. No, and it's it's not going to be a uh, it's not going to be a simple snap your fingers and we're back to normal. Hey, well, Brenda and I may be back in the noon hour, but after this break, we will get a news update from Neil McManus, and then it'll be the third hour of Hardline with your calls or Governor Andrew Cuomo here on News Radio nine thirty WBEN. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.